0: And so we looked at our needs of our teachers in terms of meeting the needs of our English learners, and we saw the ESL endorsement as another opportunity. And so we partnered again with another university, held it on site, it was held you know, every Tuesday evening, and within less than a year's time, we had a cohort of teachers that came through and really got very specific, job-embedded, District 87 aligned professional development to support teachers with the skill sets that they need in order to meet the needs of our students who have either transitioned out of the bilingual program or who maybe have some part time needs and um, for us that was that was the best way that we could invest our resources in the people that are that are firsthand doing the work.
1: Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How might school districts design programs that help teachers work with growing numbers of English language learners? What role does technology play in helping all students get the services they need? How is equity and advocacy work connected to school leadership? We discuss these topics and much more with Dr. Terry Bresnahan. Dr. Bresnahan began her teaching career in San Bernardino, California, where she taught middle school math and kindergarten and first grade while earning her master's degree in Educational Technology. After four years in California, she returned to the Midwest as a K-5 computer teacher and technology facilitator while earning her CAS in Educational Leadership. In 2005, she took her first administrative position as Director of Technology in Addison School District 4. She worked there for five years while beginning her doctoral degree at National Louise University. In 2010, she accepted the role of Director of Educational Technology in Park Ridge School District 64. In 2014, she was selected as the Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction in Berkeley School District 87 and was named Superintendent the following school year. She has served in that capacity for four years and is proud to call Berkeley 87 her home. Let's get started. Hello, Dr. Bresnahan. Thanks for joining us on Highest Aspirations.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to this.
2: Yeah, we're really excited to have um, your perspective from a leadership um, standpoint, something that we have talked a lot about on the podcast, but not something that we focused specifically on. So we're excited. Great. So I'm going to talk a little bit about your background and your trajectory, because I think it will lay a good kind of framework for what we want to talk about over the course of our time uh, today. So you spent time as a classroom teacher, a tech integrator, uh, director of Technology before becoming a superintendent. Um, yes, correct. How did how did that kind of somewhat unconventional trajectory help you prepare with rolling out technology tools? And I'm, I'm particularly curious about rolling them out for English language learners, although we'll get into that a little later. So if you want to just talk generally now, we can definitely do that.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, starting as a classroom teacher, I think really laid the foundation for the work that we do in the role of superintendent. And I think my non-traditional path to the superintendency is pretty unique in terms of being a tech integrator and facilitator and later on a director of technology in education. I think it really prepared me well to have a very broad perspective in terms of every aspect of a school organization and a district organization. And so specifically when it comes to to rolling out any type of technology tools, and then specifically related to our English learners. um, I really feel that 10 years in that that role as a director gave me access to a better understanding of a a variety of classrooms, a variety of students and their backgrounds and what their needs are. And then, in particular, related to technology, really understanding what does it take to have a successful rollout of any kind of tool, particularly one that I would say over the last, you know, 10 years related to technology can sometimes be seen as challenging or scary to some educators who it might be new to. So I think that perspective and my background has really helped me uh, work collaboratively with my team and set us up for success to roll out these types of tools.
2: Great. And you know, it's interesting, as you were speaking, I was thinking we both use the word non-traditional to describe kind of your trajectory to get to where you are now. But yet, it really seems like um, a very kind of common sense way when you think about it to, to, to get where you're because you have a perspective about, you know, really important positions that of teaching and, and technology has played such an important role. And I think you're right to mention that you know it can be scary for sure for teachers even those who are sort of tech savvy um, to, to roll out a new technology so while your trajectory is non-traditional perhaps it should be um, more traditional maybe another conversation for another time but i thought that yeah, was absolutely <laughs> um, so I want to get into kind of uh, the the rolling out of of tech that you were just referring to and and kind of the difficulty in doing it. Um, right after we spoke for the first time, I, I was read an article um, about some it had some really somber but not entirely surprising stats about how often schools and teachers are actually using the ed tech tools that are that are bought by their districts. It actually showed some researchers showed that the majority of ed tech licenses had less than ten percent um, of intensive what they define as intensive um, usage. I'm curious as a as a district leader. How do you make sure that tools are being used by teachers in a way that maximizes impact for students and also in a way that teachers are looking at them as, you know, highly useful tools that are going to help them do their jobs better?
0: Absolutely, I think return on investment and the impact on student success is always the the critical component of any type of implementation, and specifically with technology, because more and more tools are coming out uh, more and more vendors are presenting different options for us to utilize in the classroom. And I I, I think part of it is that we want our teachers to have this autonomy and we want them to explore and and really be masters in in their classrooms. And so what ends up happening is each of them explores what best suits them. And pretty soon you can have a huge variety of tools all implemented within a a single system. And so what we really tried to do is to involve and and make it a more collaborative, collaborative process so that when teachers or anyone within the system finds a tool that they think will be effective, that we really have a system for evaluating that tool, researching it, And then critically is finding that consistency across our district because while we want teacher autonomy, we also want a consistent experience for our end users, which are our learners, our students. And second to that are also the parents. So whether it's a communication tool, Or it's a learning tool that's going to be used outside of the classroom we want to make sure that our students and our parents feel comfortable with it as well and so all of those aspects are really critical when we're looking at it and making sure that we have a systematic approach while also supporting autonomy I think the second piece in that is that you know looking at that article and looking at the definition of definition of intensive use is Um, you know, just because we're using it every day for a greater amount of time doesn't necessarily mean it's going to have a higher impact. We can have a really powerful tool that maybe it's 10 minutes a day, or maybe it's with a very small population of students that it's specifically geared towards. So we really try to look at it at a broader scope of not just usage, but really impact. And that's difficult. It's challenging in the world of technology, especially in education, when we don't have, you know, a fixed outcome. You know, students are very um, flexible in their learning, and we always want to look for growth in a, in a variety of ways. So, you know, really looking for that return on investment in terms of consistency um, and making sure that it's not just, oh, I found this, and this is, and, and, and this is what we want to use in my classroom. It's, okay, let's have that conversation. Maybe there's another tool that we could um, fulfill the same thing and even more, and it's worth exploring. And I think that's why the role of Director of Technology is so critical to a school district um, so that we can make sure that we do it in a very thoughtful and systematic way.
2: Yeah, some great points. And we're going to get into that in just, in just a minute, the role of the Director of Technology. But I want, to, I want to take out a couple points that you brought up there that I think are really important. Um, first one being the idea of autonomy with teachers. And I feel like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I think you know, when, when, you cho- when you choose kind of the right technology tools, what you're doing is providing a structure so that they can be autonomous, but kind of not go, I don't want to say not go off the rails, m- more more like not work in silos where they're kind of doing their own thing that works for their particular circumstance, but it's not really shareable or scalable per se. Um, so I love that. And then the other thing um, that you got into, um, I think, was just the idea of how you go about uh, measuring impact. And one of the things that I did, you know, just working here at Elevation, I trained on our products quite a bit. And what I found was um, that many of the teachers that I would be training would say, well, you know, am I using this thing every day? Is it like an SIS where I'm checking things? And I would say, no, frankly, like, this is not a tool that you're probably going to look at in your particular situation every single day. But hopefully the things that you can do with it when you do look at it are going to save you time um, and are going to allow you to get the information that you need when you need it. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's interesting because it's hard, I think, to convince many, you know, many people that a tool is 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 worthwhile when you're not kind of using it um, constantly. So some great points brought up there, and then you start to get into just at the end of there the idea of why it's so important to have a director of technology who understands this. So that being said, um, and we'll get into the sort of the Yale specific questions in a little bit, but I want to kind of um, talk a little bit about that in in your role as as superintendent, how do you work collaboratively with your director of technology? and teachers to address these issues? What, what kind of um, things are you doing that you think might be able to help others?
0: Right, absolutely. I think, you know, collaboration across all of our departments is really critical because we want to have a singular focus, and that's on student success. And so when we look at all of our departments, whether it's our business department or our teaching and learning or our English learners, we want to all work in tandem so that we're working smarter and more effectively. So in terms of our director of technology, I think having previously held that position, I have a a firsthand knowledge, which is very helpful and makes our – our processes work a lot more smoothly. I think also having been in that role, I know um, where to give the autonomy and where to give some guidance. And the relationship that we have currently in District 87 is a really powerful one because it is so collaborative and it's not just the voice of the tech director, but it's the voice of bringing the teachers all together and our students and our parents together so that we can really see holistically, how do we support student success through the use of technology tools. And so we meet on a regular basis. In fact, um, our, our director of technology, his office is actually the closest to mine. So we have very frequent conversations. Um, he has a lot of ability to work out with his committees and with the teachers and with his own department in terms of the day-to-day functioning. But the, the vision and our strategic planning is, is very aligned and we meet regularly across all of our departments so that we can support one another in a better way.
2: Yeah, that's great. I think mean, you know, you mentioned something that's important that I hear more and more of. It's just sort of strategically, physically placing yourself close <laughs> close to a person who you're going to work with closely. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not it's, it's not rocket science, but um, but if you're not making an intentional decision to do something like that, then you're not going to get those kind of quick, um, you know, in the hallway meetings that you might have when an issue arises. I think that's really important. Absolutely. So I want to now that we have kind of a framework um, about how you sort of vet tech tools, the relationships that you have not only with the tech director but with your, with your teachers, um, we talked a little bit about how we measure impact, I want to really focus on, on your ELs because I know that before you started, um, your district did not have an EL director, is that correct?
0: Yes, that is correct.
2: So h- how did that affect the way that your staff worked with ELs and what were you looking for when you hired a new director?
0: Absolutely. So, when I first started in the district, I, my role was assistant superintendent for curriculum. And what I first noticed when looking at the demographics of our of our district is that we do have a significant population of English learners. Uh, roughly, we're at about thirty three percent. And when I first took the position and started asking questions around how we support that specific population. Um, we kind of looked around, and none of us were experts in that area and so, as I began meeting through other curriculum committees and meeting with teachers and and wanting that representation of our of our bilingual teachers and those who provided resources for our ESL services, um, what I found is that there was a sense of neglect um, it off it what it looked like is an overlooked segment of our teaching population. And when you have um you know over a third of your students who qualify for those services, that was just not going to not going to work for us and it was not helping us move in the direction where we wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So being able to spend that first year to assess the situation and realize what we needed to do was really helpful as I transitioned into the role of superintendent. So that was one of the first positions that we really looked at bringing on board was that expert in the area of second language learning. And that really, I think what it demonstrated is what we value. Um, How we spend our resources and where we spend our time, I believe, is a direct reflection of what we value as an organization. Mm -hmm. So by putting that position in place and allowing that leadership to really extend out to better support those teachers who are working directly with those students, I think we really demonstrated that we value those students and that it is a priority for us. And it has made a huge difference as we really start to see the shift in the in the culture around our English learners.
2: Yeah, to have that expert in place. And it sounds to me like, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that you really took, you mentioned that you took a, a year, it sounds like, to kind of assess the situation, figure out what, what you were lacking and what you needed. And so you didn't kind of make uh, a really rash, quick decision to get someone in there to kind of fill a slot. What does it take? I mean, do you think that like sort of going slow to move fast is the kind of the appropriate um, way to handle this when you're missing something as sort of integral as an EL director?
0: Absolutely. And in fact, when we had our original kickoff meeting with Elevation, that is the exact phrase that was used. And we've now really adopted it amongst our administrative team. Go slow to go fast because we want to do it the right way the first time. And if that means that we have to be more thoughtful in the process, um, that's that's exactly what we'll do. I think too often we've learned in education phrases such as this too shall pass or <laughs> this is the way we've always done it. Yeah. And we don't we don't want to continue that mindset. We want to be a mindset that says, we are going to really take the time to understand what we need, why we need it, and what is the best solution to mm-hmm. fix and address that that need and I think that 's exactly what we did and and we 're continually refining and reflecting on all of those areas to support to support our students because our students change every year, yep. and we should too
2: yeah, I think that you know it 's funny I, as I, I was a teacher for a long time, I taught high school and uh, and I admit, perhaps that, that expression, I was not in the meeting that you referred to, but perhaps that expression, you know, go slow to move fast, is uh, just been a reflection of the two and a half years I've spent here at Elevation. But one thing that I have noticed, a little off topic here, but I think it's related to your point, um, working here um, is that, you know, in, in this kind of uh, sort of small, almost startup kind of culture, um, there is a tendency to kind of step back and assess what you, you have before you kind of make a rash decision or to test something in a really small way. Um, you know, kind of design, design thinking mentality before kind of deciding on something. And I think, you know, schools like yours and, and who have leaders like you um, are clearly sort of adopting some of those techniques that, that as, as you kind of alluded to with those expressions that you mentioned, this too shall pass, aren't really uh, very well adopted in many school districts. So I think that's a testament to your, um, to your leadership skills. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. So I, I want to um, get into some more sort of specifics um, about this Yale director and some of the work that you all did together. I know one thing that you've done to help better serve um, your English learners is to start um, a cohort for teachers to get certified um, in, in English language learners or working with them. This is, to me, um, a really, really important thing that some schools are doing. So I'd love it if you could kind of walk us through what this looks like. Um, in practice, maybe how the idea kind of got off the ground.
0: Absolutely. So I think the the idea of growing your own is one of those things that school districts are really starting to adopt because we are seeing such a drastic shortage in, in teachers. And we're seeing that teachers need to have a higher level of expertise in very key areas in order to address the, the changing needs of our students. Mm-hmm. So as we were reflecting on the needs of our students, and as we were putting a director in place to support our English learners, we really thought, how do we widely improve the skill set of our teachers who are working directly with these students? We have some teachers who come to us with an ESL license, and we have others who are brand new out of college who haven't had that opportunity to go back to school. And so we really thought, you know if we were to control our own professional development and invest in our own teachers this would be an ideal situation it would be a win win on both sides and so this cohort model we actually did a cohort for a technology endorsement originally and so we had a group of teachers that came through and it was held on site in a partnership with the university and we paid for it through the district and there were some requirements on on behalf of the participants to follow through on as well but it really It became a very customized, long-term professional development model. And so we looked at our needs of our teachers in terms of meeting the needs of our English learners, and we saw the ESL endorsement as another opportunity. And so we partnered, again, with another university, held it on site. It was held, you know, every Tuesday evening, and within less than a year's time, we had a cohort of teachers that came through and really got very specific, job-embedded, District 87 aligned professional development to support teachers with the skill sets that they need in order to meet the needs of our students who have either transitioned out of the bilingual program or who maybe have some part time needs. And um, for us, that was that was the best way that we could invest our resources in the people that are that are firsthand doing the work.
2: Yeah, that's great. Two things I'll take out of that. One that I like it how you said district eighty-seven aligned. I think that's crucial that you're doing something that is, you know, specifically for the teachers in your district. Of course, I think that that those skills are probably largely transferable as well. And, and then the other piece is, you know, just just I'm hearing more and more about partnerships um, with with universities and how it's becoming kind of an easier thing to do here in our area, um, Roger Williams University has a partnership with Providence schools and I spoke with the coordinator over there about how they set that up and it sounds really similar, job embedded, um, really largely experience based, competency based, personalized, blended um, and so these programs uh, are, are really, it's nice to hear that around the country they're starting to, um, to yield results in, in local school districts and I think eventually hopefully nationally around the country.
0: Yes, hopefully.
2: Yeah. So um, I know you place a lot of importance through our conversations before um, that we've had um, on equity, which I think is extremely important and, and, and most people do. I, I do feel, though, that the word equity and, and the idea of like equity work can be kind of nebulous and, and difficult to understand. So I'm curious what, you know, when you say or you've been engaged in equity work, what does that mean and what does it look like in practice?
0: absolutely i think you know we begin with the definition of what is equity versus you know fair versus equal and and you know the the vision of the the three children standing at the fence comes to mind when we know talk well. about equity yep.
2: right we'll put and, that on the website so folks can see yes
0: them. and i and i love how that even that model over the last couple of years has evolved yes where at first it was you know, providing the step stools for each child to see over the fence. Uh-huh. And then it was, well, let's make the fence see-through so that all students can see through. And now I've even seen a model where why is the fence even there? Yeah,
2: exactly. I know it's right? funny. I know and, exactly what you're talking about.
0: Yes. And so I think that's been just such a driving force in, in my work as, a, as an educator from, from the beginning. And then coming into District 87 and, and you look at through the lens of equity and you have to have some bold conversations around that. And what we were seeing, again, you have to look to your data, you have to listen, you have to you know, take it all in before you can jump to any kind of conclusion. But what we found was a high number of declinations and services for those students who qualified for bilingual. But unfortunately, in our previous model, students would have to, in some cases, move to a different school in order to get those services. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, to me, is a direct violation of equity. So we had to educate ourselves really around that because when it's 5% of the students, how significant is, is that to us? When it's 10%, when it's 15%, at what number are we willing to live with having students being forced to make those choices? And, and really, for the answer for me is zero. Yep. Um, Every child matters and and we want to to do what's best. So we really engaged in my first year around some of those tough conversations, not only related to our second language learners and some of those choices that parents were being forced to make, but even for our um, high achieving program and for our students who have special needs. We really tried to look holistically at all students and what their career in District 87 looked like from whether it be pre-kindergarten or kindergarten all the way through eighth grade. And so in my first year, we actually transitioned to full-day kindergarten because there's equity even coming into District 87. What are the previous background experiences that our students have had or have not had that sets them apart from their peers? Um, and we wanted to really be able to address that at the early stages. Then we really engaged in looking at the configuration of our schools, which led us to come up with the solution of grade-level centers. So we actually reconfigured our six schools to be pre-K through two, three through five, and then six through eight, which now allows all students to stay in their home neighborhood school and get the services that they need directly in their home school. And to me, that's a, that's a big success. And within that first year, we reduced class sizes, and we also saw a significant decrease in the number of declinations of services for bilingual programming. And that was such a reassurance that we had made the right decision. And now we're in year two, and we're able to focus on the other things now that we have those fundamentals for equity in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with, without that, it's really hard to tackle the big problems if if your organization isn't even aligned to receive the services that it needs. And so that was a, that was a big part of our work. And that's what it looks like here, not only for, you know, um, it, it's all based on the individual needs of the students. And again, as those change, we need to change also. And- And and I think that's really what equity means to us and how we use that as as our lens, as we build our strategic plan, as we set our goals, and as we look at our data.
2: Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, as you look at the data and as you have those hard conversations and the results come through, it's also sort of making perhaps difficult decisions that not necessarily everybody agrees with. Again, probably another conversation for another time, but the ability to kind of let the data do the talking and the card conversations kind of lead the way to make decisions that, that are kind of getting back to our whole non-traditional conversation that perhaps are not traditional, but are, um, are uh, the evidence suggests that it's the best best idea. And then, as you mentioned, being able to um, iterate if things change as, as things move forward.
0: Right. Absolutely.
2: So let's talk a little bit about, um, about advocacy work, which you've said is, um, is important to, to you as well. Could you talk a little bit about what what you're doing in this area um, at the state and federal level, and why you think it's important?
0: Absolutely. So I think you're when you're in education and and along the journey that I have had, I think one of the reasons why I was drawn to administration and drawn again into the superintendency was to have a greater impact on a on a wider scope. Mm-hmm. And but that's only if you know you only can access that if you leverage that ability to do so. So I think advocacy, when we know, when we have the data staring us in in the face, it is our responsibility in these positions to advocate on our behalf. And I think, especially in the state of Illinois, where we've had so many changes and so many transformations and conversations around education, whether it be funding or equity or pre school, um, all of those things that are directly impacting our students, our voice needs to be present at the table. And so I have, I've been very fortunate to be a part of many conversations at the state level, you know, in our state capital at Springfield, advocating for our assessment system, in particular, how our assessment system impacts second language learners. And that then directly related to the federal guidelines that are coming down to the states through ESSA. And so I think having that voice and being present at the table and and being able to speak on behalf of your population has been a real passion for me. And I, I, I think it's a privilege that I have the ability to do so. So just... For those people who are in legislative positions, for those people who maybe don't have an education background, for them to understand the impact of a bill, the impact of a, an unfunded mandate, how does that really impact the day-to-day operations within a school system? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we think that legislation is, is going to do wonders and, and is going to be the, the cure and the fix for our schools, and then when we actually put them into practice, we find out that that's not the case. And so we need to be working in partnership at the legislative level, both state and federal, to make sure that those who are doing the work, you know, on the ground have access and are providing the information that's necessary to inform those who are, who are recommending and passing those laws.
2: Yeah, and you know, it's you, you, you said it just a little while ago. I was going to say um, it's hard work, but what a privilege to be able to do it. But you beat me to it. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I was never an administrator. I was a teacher for a long time, but um, I don't know how many administrators are sort of drawn to that position because of their ability to advocate. Um, but I think the ones that are uh, going into it for one of the, 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 the one of the reasons for it, I just think that's amazing. You know, and you'd be able to be the voice. Um, Of uh, of or maybe even more of a bridge between sort of what's happening on the ground and how um, laws are being passed. I'm I'm really glad we we were able to talk a little bit about that.
0: Absolutely, and I and I do want to mention that I think over the course of the last couple of years, I think Illinois has made some great strides in recognizing the value in having those voices and really making concerted efforts to ensure that those voices are heard.
2: And that's also just as important. I'm also glad you mentioned that. So given what we just talked about in terms of we just kind of mentioned what we think some important, what you think some important qualities are, and I definitely agree with you. Um, what do you think the, the three most important qualities are for a school leader like you who is tasked with overseeing such a, a diverse and dynamic as well student population? What three things do you think are are most important?
0: So I, I think... The, the top three things that come to mind that I have really probably have been the three areas that um, have helped me grow the most in this position and in particular in District 87. I think communication is at is at the top of the list. Um, as, a,
2: as a long-time teacher, I would highly agree with that. Yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it is something that we are constantly striving to be to be better at. And and communication, we we sometimes get stuck in the one-way communication tool. How do I send out emails? How what do my newsletters look like? How am I informing people through my website? Um, and really, what we are trying to focus is focus on is two-way communication. And at the top of that is listening. And listening is so critical to be a better communicator and to be a better leader. So having that understanding and being able to really focus and actively listen, have allow for voices to be heard and then proactively work together to, to problem solve. And I think so second to that after communication, again, that two way piece is to, it's your mindset. It's having an open mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think too, too often, when we rise into leadership positions, we have sometimes we adopt this belief that, well, we have to prove that we have the answers, that we earned our these positions because we know more than someone else. And I think sometimes that can be our biggest downfall. Yeah. And so as a leader, I think it's really important to know I am constantly learning. I am constantly seeking out information from others and learning through their experiences because mine are my own, but that gives me one singular perspective. And the power in in initiating change and really um, being more transformative is in the collective voice and the collective vision. And so I think having that open mindset to always know I'm going to grow, I'm going to change, I'm going to learn, um, I think that's really critical and has proven to be a great asset to me in in this role in District 87, and then I think the third piece, going again hand in hand, is being collaborative. I can listen and I can be willing to you know have an open mind, but if I'm not collaborating with those who have that direct impact, if I'm not empowering those around me to carry forward a vision and to help build that vision with me, um, it will it is. A lonely place, yeah. and it can be a very um, a, a very frustrating position when you're trying to do everything on your own, and having an amazing network of teachers and administrators and colleagues outside my district, I think that is the power in really leading towards transformation. And there's a quote that I love, and I think this embodies kind of all of those qualities that I really hold um, dear in, in leadership, is change is fixing the past and transformation is creating the future. And that's really what I'm striving towards is you know, we're not here in these roles to undo what has been done, but to look forward and to really create a better future for everyone. And and we do that using those three skill sets.
2: Yeah, very well said. And I, I couldn't help while you were talking about those three, communication, open mindset, and collaborate, that Um, those also are really important skills, I think for teachers to have when they're working with students. I mean, I know in my experience as a high school student, you know, you, you have to have those skills. You have to have that open mind to be able to make changes. And certainly the collaboration piece, especially for me working at the higher levels, um, was crucial, but, um, but I'm glad you mentioned that as a leader as well. I think that's, um, those, those three are crucially, um, important. So I I guess kind of a a similar question or, um, a follow-up to that question, Based on what you've learned as kind of a, a, a self professed, uh, you know, continuous learner, um, what advice would you give to a new district leader faced with similar challenges, but also similar assets? I think it's important that we mention that having students that are constantly changing and very diverse is also um, an asset. So, if somebody walks into a, a situation similar to yours, um, what advice do you give them?
0: So, I, I think, you know, going off of those three leadership skills, I think really being willing to take risks, being brave and being bold um change is very hard and we know that we know that as as a it's part of our human nature um but really being able to understand people and learn the why behind their actions i think that is such a powerful resource to have at your um you know on your side when you're working to really create change and so when you're walking into a district and you want to make an impact and you want to build on success, whether you're starting, you know, from the bottom or even from the top and you want to see continual growth. I think being able to be innovative and, and take those risks and model that for everyone around you. Taking Mm -hmm. risks um, is probably easier when you're sitting in the role of the superintendent. But when you're, when you're sitting in some of those other seats, I think risk can seem very scary and, and, oftentimes perhaps not worth it. And that's when we lead to people being jaded in their positions. And I think we have the ability to model it and ensure and empower others to say, hey, we value risk taking, we wanna see you do it, and we want you to model it for your students. Because that's how we're really going to move farther and faster ahead. Um, in terms of our student achievement and student success is by taking some risks and being brave and, and changing and being willing to say, you know what, we've always done it this way. Let's try something new.
2: Yeah, and I think you use the, the, the right word there, just modeling it um, uh, for, for teachers, particularly teachers who may be new to the district um, or new to the profession, The understanding that, uh, that that mentality of risk-taking and perhaps making some mistakes along the way and learning from them um, is key. When you see it from the top, it's a lot easier to do. When you don't, you're right. And People do get jaded, and I've definitely seen that. Absolutely. So as we begin to wrap up here, I have two more questions for you. The first one is one that I ask um, all of our guests, and it's led to a really nice um, library, both a personal library of my own, and I think a lot of listeners have also um, sort of increased their, their at-home libraries of books and resources that they have. The question is, um, is there a book or other resource that has influenced you Either in your work life, personally, or professionally, that you would like to share.
0: You know, this is a tough question because in in our roles, we are constantly reading and seeking out professional um, books for us to learn from and grow. And again, with that growth mindset, that's what we're we're continuously doing and trying to model. I think there are a few that have stand out, probably more recently. Um, as a, as a leadership team, we've actually worked with um, Dr. Anthony Muhammad's work, Transforming School Culture. We were uh, very blessed to have the opportunity to, to attend one of his workshops last summer as an administrative team. And it was such a um, thoughtful and hands-on approach to really looking at school culture and and really the the psychology behind human nature and Mm -hmm. and how do we work as a system with people um, as an organization that that's our that's our primary output is is people and so that has been a work that a book that's really influenced us this year and in really trying to better understand how we make change safe and how we build a positive school culture that is not just a positive culture but one that is highly effective and that, that was a critical piece. I think I'm just gonna give a shout out to a couple of other ones that I think have been impactful as well. Uh, nice we too. read as, an, as a leadership team also the book Essentialism by uh, Greg McKeown. And that one was really powerful as a leader about learning to say no. But not just learning to say no for the sake of saying no or having less work, but actually really self-reflecting to find out what is my highest point of contribution. Where is my value added and where do I need to be and why in order to leverage that? And I think that's, that's a big part of self-care as a leader and, and as an educator where we can sometimes not have balance. I think for our, for our teachers as well, how do we really strike that balance between personal and work? And I th- think being able to really focus on those essential pieces and where we have our highest point of impact, I think uh, that one really spoke to me. And then lastly, this is an old one that, you know, even in my previous role really led down the path in terms of innovation and changing what we do as a as a public school system in the, in the country. How do we really change to be, to better meet the needs of our students about where they are going as opposed to where we have been? And that was the work of Tony Wagner and Wagner, um, his book, The Global Achievement Gap. and. Yep. I actually had a chance to attend a workshop directly with him and to be able to speak to, you know, we know what's happening out in the workforce. We know where industry and and our economy are taking us. How do we prepare our students for that world and not the world that we live in now, but the world of tomorrow? And um, I think that was a critical one for us as educators to to take heed.
2: Great. I am familiar with Tony Wagner's work. Um, I, have, I have heard of the other two, have not read them. So you've just added three books that I know for a fact have not <laughs> been have not been mentioned on the podcast before. So that's a win. Um, Excellent, and, good. And, and two more from my own library. So selfishly, that's, uh, that's good for me. My only problem now is I can't keep up with them because I have so many recommendations, but that's, right,
0: absolutely. <laughs> that's
2: the case with all of us. Um, uh, and we will put the names of those books and all the resources um, on the website. So folks can see those at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. Before we wrap up um, I, you know, you've just scraped the surface of some wonderful work you're doing over there. Um, my colleagues work closely with you and your school district and have had nothing but great things to say, which is kind of how we, um, we ended up sort of talking here on the, on the podcast, but we've really only scraped the surface, I think of what you're doing. Hopefully people are a little bit more informed and inspired, but how can they learn? How can people learn more about the work that you all are doing um, at, at Berkeley?
0: Absolutely. So, I think firsthand conversations and site visits are always the best way to really see firsthand the wonderful things that we're doing and to learn about them. If you if anything that we have mentioned has sparked an interest, I think we are always happy to to, to take phone calls or to arrange for in you know face-to-face visits, I definitely want to give a shout out to our director of English learning, uh, Mr. Juan Corona, and he is one that is really working again at the state and the federal level, really trying to expand his work and his influence and learning and bringing that back to District 87, he will actually be presenting at a couple of conferences coming up. And so that might be a, a great way to catch him. His information is on our on our website, again, Mr. Juan Corona. And I am always happy to talk to any other organization that's interested in the work that we're doing. All of our information can be easily accessed through our through our website. And I am active on Twitter as well. And as is Mr. Corona. So, mm-hmm. and many of our district leaders and teachers. So that's a wonderful way to follow us and see the things that we're doing and, and to contribute because we'd love, I think we learn better, um, when we learn from others. And so if there are great things similar to what we're doing or some new ideas that we haven't thought of, I think Twitter has been a great uh, professional learning tool for us as a district. And uh, you can follow me at Terry Bresnahan um, and then also at BSD87 is our uh, Twitter handle for our school district.
2: Perfect. And I'm glad you mentioned Twitter. It's a thriving PLN out there that, that, uh, that actually, I would say in particular, um, English language educators are really um, taking advantage of and doing a lot of great work on. So we will put all the resources as well as the Twitter handles, as well as the websites, uh, your websites for your school. Um, in the district on the uh, on our website so folks can access it Um, and I just want to really thank you so much on behalf of uh, everyone here at Elevation for taking the time to chat with us not about how you're using our products but how you're really affecting change in your district and beyond I know you're very busy um, and there's a reason why we don't have a lot of superintendents on because you're very busy people so you've been very gracious with your time we appreciate it and I hope we can keep in touch
0: Thank you so much. And this is time well, well spent. And so I, I think if we can prioritize this and share in that collaboration, I think that makes us all that much better in the, in the work that we do. We are very excited about our partnership with Elevation and moving forward and seeing how we can really impact student success. So thank you so much for happy, having me. I've appreciated the time.